facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Spy Wednesday. It's Holy Week. It's The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It is April the 5th, 2023. We're getting set for the sacred, sacred Tritium. And joining me later in the program, Bishop Donald Hying of Madison, Wisconsin. Can't wait to get talking to him about a really interesting letter that he wrote. I'm calling it From Madison to Munich. It's all about the German quote-unquote synodal way and his response to it, why he felt that was important to write about. We're going to get a bishop's perspective on Holy Week. That's coming up later. Can't wait to talk to him. But I also want to talk to you. So why don't you call this number right now, 888-914-9149. Toll free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And send an email to kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Well, why is it called Spy Wednesday today? Well, of course, in today's gospel reading from Matthew, Judas sets his mind to once and for all betray the Lord, and and he kind of looked for an opportunity to hand Jesus over from that point. He was a double agent, if you will, working for the religious authorities going forward. Now, I talked a lot about Judas over the last couple of days. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because on the Faith Explained show today and yesterday— We just did a two-part series called Hey Judas. We talked about Judas inside the Bible and outside the Bible. And so today's episode talked about the so-called Gospel of Judas. If you want to check that out, that caused a lot of consternation when it was released a few years ago. It might pop up on news sites or in the media during Holy Week, so I want to keep your eye out for that. That should not disturb your faith one bit. It's not historical at all in the Gospel of Judas. Judas is a hero. Not the case in real life. But this idea of Judas betraying Jesus, it's interesting because there there are so many parallels, and I only had so much time on the Faith Explained, I couldn't really get too deep into this one, but it also kind of parallels something that that happened in the book of Genesis with Joseph. And Joseph is kind of like a type of Jesus Christ. And Joseph in the Old Testament, in his technicolor dream coat, don't forget, he was betrayed by his older brother, Judah. And by the way, that's, in the New Testament, Judas Iscariot, that is his name. His name is Yehuda in Hebrew, which means Judah. Uh, Obviously, Judah the patriarch, one of the 12 tribes. The southern region came to be known as Judah, and that's where the name the Jews comes from. Although, obviously, it refers to all Israelites. But the south was known as Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. And of course, Judah, the tribe of Judah, was the tribe that King David sprang forth from, according to the flesh, and the Messiah as well, Jesus, who, of course, according to his human nature, is of the line, the lineage of David. And so Judah was also the name of Judas Iscariot. He hailed from that southern region. The name Iscariot is not a last name. It means really where he was from. And it might mean the man from Kerioth. Kerioth is is part of that region. It's a town in Judea. It also might mean, there's so many speculations about what Iscariot means. Iscariot might also mean of the Sicarii, of the Sicarii. Now, who were the Sicarii? They were known as the dagger men. 
Now, if you've ever seen the movie Sicario, it's it's pretty violent. It's definitely rated R. It's all about the drug cartels. It's a, it's a really, really powerful film uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, Canadian director, starring Emily Blunt. But at the beginning of that movie, there's sort of a, you know, on the screen, there's a, there's a verse, there's a line from the writings of the great Jewish historian Josephus, and he talks about the Sicarii, the dagger men, and what they would do. It was kind of political terrorism. These guys were extremists, if you will, and, and they hated the fact that the Romans were occupying the Holy Land. And what they would do is the Sicarii, the dagger men, would have these, this is literally cloak and dagger. They would have these knives in their overcoats, if you will. They'd go into the temple. There'd be a big festival. There'd be a big crowd. And at a certain prearranged time and signal, they would pull out their knives and just start you know, stabbing the Roman elite. And, and it was just a, a bloodbath. And so... That was a, a very, very violent political way of trying to deal with their problems and very relatable to Simon the Zealot. He was also from a, uh, a warlike tribal you know, point of view on this. Let's kick out the Romans. Let's start a war here. And eventually a war did happen, a very bloody war that resulted in the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD, the sacking of Jerusalem. It was just a horrific event. So it, it is possible the Judas Iscariot belonged to this group. We're not 100% sure of this, but we do know that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And it was, again, somewhat like when Judah betrayed his brother Joseph, had him sold into slavery, and he got back, and the other brothers got back a sum of money, a bunch of silver. Whether it was 30 pieces or not, I'm not 100% sure, but we talked about that a lot on the Faith Explained show when we did the Genesis series, and I think you can still find those episodes in the archives on RelevantRadio.com, the Relevant Radio app. So if you did miss the series that we just completed today on Judas, inside and outside the Bible, go to the Faith Explained show. We did the last episode today, but the podcast is available right now. You can check that out. But I thought also, because it's Spy Wednesday, I thought I'd talk about my favorite spy, even though he's not a real person, James Bond. Uh, yeah, you know me. I I'm a huge James Bond buff. Uh, I... Ever since I was a kid, I, I've watched all the movies dozens of times. Uh, we're looking for the 26th film to be made, hopefully in the near future. They're going to be casting a new Bond. Obviously, Daniel Craig is no longer in the role. Although producer Jim was told uh, by his son today that he looked like Daniel Craig. And I, I know he's been working out and maybe he's hoping to do the Casino Royale thing this summer. Just come out of the pool all, all you know, cut and chiseled. I, I don't know, but... But maybe you could be the new James Bond, Jim. I don't know. Jim Bond, right? James Bond. But <laughs> Thanks for but, the vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah, you got it, man. Somebody's got to play the role. Might as well be you. But, but having said that, James Bond is, in fact, Catholic. And, and it's not really explicit in the films. And you can say he's a bad Catholic. He's morally corrupt. He's got all kinds of issues with women. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, and and there, James Bond was married. I don't want to give away the whole story, but... Uh, on uh, his Majesty's on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I guess we have to start saying His Majesty now because of King Charles and KC three, as I like to call him, King Charles the Third. I should copyright that, make some T-shirts. But anyways, he's going to be the coronation is going to happen. So James Bond will have to talk about being on His Majesty's Secret Service for the first time ever in the James Bond series. But uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, I won't tell you what happened to James Bond's wife. Telly Savalas had something to do with it. Uh, in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. But 
That was the one film that, that had a, a one-time James Bond actor, George Lazenby, the only time he ever played the role, took over for Sean Connery. I'm really going deep down the rabbit hole right now. But um, I do want to talk about a more recent James Bond film, which has a, a lot of Catholic themes in it. I, I don't know if you've ever seen Bishop Robert Barron, who's a, uh, obviously the uh, director of Word on Fire, uh, that, that ministry. He's also a bishop in uh, Minnesota, Winona, Rochester. He used to do, I don't know if he still does them, but he used to do these really interesting film reviews on YouTube from a Catholic perspective. And the one he did on Skyfall is well worth looking up. It's well worth checking out. And he brought forth a lot of the interesting Catholic themes. And if you think about Skyfall, let the sky fall. I'll try to do my best Adele impersonation. Adele's a great singer, by the way. No auto-tune at all. I know her life, she's got issues, but she's a real classic talent great singer anyways i digress skyfall is actually possibly taken from the bible because in luke chapter 10 verse 18 jesus says i saw satan fall like lightning from the sky skyfall (laughs) get it and of course skyfall is also the ancestral home of james bond's family at the at the end of the movie and Baron does a good job explaining this in his video. He fights the bad guy in a church. He kills the bad guy in a church at Skyfall. Sounds pretty biblical to me. And and all of this 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 whole place called Skyfall, the the Bond Manor, if you will, the ancient family manor, goes back to Elizabethan England because at that time, speaking of spies, the government set up basically a surveillance state against Catholics, a vast spy network. And they were trying to root out, ferret out who the Catholics were. They're being persecuted, killed. Uh, There's so many stories of martyrdoms that happened at this time. And a lot of Catholics would have in their homes what they called priest holes, where they would hide priests. Priests would come uh, clandestinely and give people the sacraments and they would hide them behind bookcases and there'd be all these elaborate niches in the walls and sometimes secret passageways. Well, that's in the movie. The Bond family manor has a priest hole, which leads to a passageway, which goes to a church, a Catholic church that is on the grounds. How about that? So Bond spy stories. How about that? Kind of start with the church. And a lot of the the theme of, of Skyfall as well is is the old ways versus the new ways. And we Catholics are always kind of under pressure from the society. Why don't you get with the times? Why don't you get with the programs? Your ways are far too retrograde. Society has moved on. Actually, we're pretty futuristic because we're living the life of the resurrection now. We're living the life of the kingdom of God, which is coming and it's breaking into the world. We we got to make these values the norm because this is reality. And so, as Peter Kreeft once said, uh, a great friend of the program in one of his books, he says the Catholic Church doesn't read the Times. doesn't want to get with the Times because it doesn't read the Times. And it's kind of a reference to the New York Times. But the Church doesn't read the Times. She reads the eternities. Okay, things that are always true. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever hebrews 13 verse 8 and so in the film skyfall now keep in mind this was the third film that daniel craig did 
uh, in the James Bond role. The first one was Casino Royale, which is my favorite of all time, 2006. Two years later, Quantum of Solace. It kind of kind of got panned a little. I, I remember writing a movie review for a magazine on that film from a Catholic perspective. We can get into that if you want later. You can ask me about it. But that came out in 2008, just a couple years later. I, it didn't. It wasn't well-received at the time, but it actually holds up pretty well. It's definitely better than Spectre, and it's definitely better than No Time to Die. I was not a fan of the last two Daniel Craig films. I thought his talent and his his great take on Bond was kind of wasted by really bad writing in the last couple films. Anyway, I'd still watch them, of course, but I don't know, man. But I really loved Casino Royale. I, Skyfall was pretty good. was pretty good, but it, you know, there were elements where it started to lose its way. But w- great cinematography. The I believe he passed away, but Roger Deakins, cin- cinematographer for Skyfall. It's a visually stunning film on many levels, but at any rate, a big theme is the old way versus the new way, and Bond is called during the movie, he's an old dog, you know, I mean, he, keep in mind, this is only his third movie, he was 2006 to 2012 when Skyfall came out, yeah, six years, but now all of a sudden he goes from being a rookie when he becomes 007 to, now all of a sudden he's old, he's he's past his prime, his best before date, but the old ways are still good, that's part of the theme, M, played by Judy Dench, I won't tell you what happens to her in the end, but they're trying to get rid of her as well because she's older. She's She needs to move on. They're trying to force her to retire. But when James Bond goes back to his roots, to the Bond Manor Skyfall in Scotland, which is kind of maybe an homage to Sean Connery, but he, he starts driving the iconic, speaking of Sean Connery, the 1960s Bond car, the Aston Martin from Goldfinger. So he's going back to the old ways. And even as the bad guy is killed, he gets killed in an old-fashioned kind of fight, and he gets killed with a knife. You know, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but but it's a very old-school way of doing this. And there are a couple scenes in the film where at the, at the beginning of the, of the movie, the pre the pre-title sequence, he he it's pretty spectacular. But he winds up getting shot. Bond falls off of a train, which is on a bridge over a body of water. He falls way down into the water plunges down and it's kind of like a baptism and he comes back from this he survives comes out of the water there's another time in the water in the movie where he's seemingly a goner in water comes out rises from the water and it's a lot like resurrection and that's really what baptism is meant to symbolize death and burial and resurrection that's why maybe the best way to do it maybe the best way to do Baptism, and that's you know, baptism works whether it's sprinkling, pouring, immersion, but the most visually, I think, satisfying way of baptism of doing baptism is through immersion because it really does picture the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and so those are kind of his baptisms, if you will, and his resurrections in in the movie. And there's a there's a point where the bad guy, his nemesis, a guy named Silva, who used to be a double O agent, kind of went rogue. He's kind of his mirror image, if you will. Silva asks Bond, do you have any hobbies? And Bond replies, resurrection. That's true, certainly in the film series. He keeps coming back, keeps coming back. 25 films and counting, longest series of all time. But for us, that has to be true as well. Our hobby our, our obsession, if you will, has to be resurrection. Not only the fact that we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. Every Sunday is a resurrection. The day it's a it's a, it's an Easter. 
there is, of course, Easter Sunday, but every Sunday is kind of an Easter Sunday. But we also have to be focused on our own future resurrection. And we have to be focused on trying to get the best resurrection possible by, by living the life, the best life we can in accord with the will of God. And Jesus talks about those who will obtain a better resurrection, will be repaid. These people that you are doing all this good to, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, they can't repay you in this life. When you invite a dinner, yeah, you can invite a bunch of wealthy friends. They're going to invite you back. You're going to have a nice meal in return for a nice meal. But these other people can't pay you back. But you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so we have to kind of make that an obsession for us as well. But the other thing, too, is that you might be, you say all this might be a stretch, but but maybe not. Ian Fleming, who who wrote the original James Bond novels, which, are, by the way, I'm hearing that they're going to be doctored as well by the by the, the PC police who are going to be, I guess, taking some offensive things out. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure we should be messing with the works of dead authors, even if they are offensive. And some, some of the stuff truly is offensive in some of these works. There's no question about it. But uh, we can't rewrite all of history. We can try to learn from it, though. Sure. Any, anyways, Ian Fleming, who created James Bond, wrote the books, he was friends with, and Baron explained this, he was friends with a Catholic writer who you might not have heard of, but she was really popular in the 20th century, Carol Houselander. I don't know if you've read any of her stuff, if it's any good. If it is, give me a call, 888-914-9149. But Carol Houselander was, was a Catholic mystic, spiritual author, and she, she never got married. And one of the reasons why she never got married was that she at one point was in love with a British spy. <laughs> and his name was Sidney Riley. And so he broke her heart. <laughs> Maybe he was a womanizer like James Bond. I don't know. But Ian Fleming was friends with Carol Houselander. And she got sort of jilted by the spy, Sidney Riley. And that could, in fact, have been, he might have been one of the inspirations for Bond, his character. What about the name James Bond? Well, Ian Fleming went to a school growing up, and it was located very, very close to one of these ancient Catholic manor houses that went all the way back to the time of the recusants. And that's what they called the, these Catholics who were kind of Catholics in secret and hiding priests and trying to survive the persecutions of the Elizabethan age. There was a Catholic house, kind of like Skyfall maybe, and it was owned by, occupied by, the Bond family. And on the, I don't know, the, maybe the gates of the manor, there was the family crest, the Bond family crest. And guess what their motto was of the Bond family? The world is not enough. The world is not enough. Now, of course, that later became the title of a James Bond film starring Pierce Brosnan. But the world is not enough. That has to be the case for us as well. Orbis non sufficient. In Latin, the world is not enough. What did Jesus say? What shall it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their own soul, their very self? And so the world is not enough. It's certainly not worth jeopardizing our eternal reward. But also we're made for so much more. We're made for heaven. We're, we're made for the new world, the new heaven, the new earth. And, and this is what we got to shoot for. This is what we have to kind of live for. We have to live as citizens of the new creation. And so it's another world. 
By the way, that's that my mother's favorite soap opera growing up. She used to watch this show called Another World. Every day after school, she watched it. I don't know if you guys remember that. But anyways, we have to live for another world. Not that kind of world, but the world that Jesus uh, wants us to live in, the values of that world, the values of the kingdom. We're made for so much more. And, and just one last thing here. You know, every James Bond film has kind of this debate about technology. And, and in Skyfall, it's a lot about the new versus the old. Once again, maybe the old ways are best. Maybe the old ways are best. And so there's a new quartermaster or Q, and he was played by Desmond Llewellyn in the old Sean Connery films. He was an older guy, gave Bond his gear, like all the exploding pens and stuff. But in this one, in, in Skyfall, he's played by this younger actor, Ben Wishaw, and and he just gives him his gun, a Walter PPK, but it, but it, it does, it's, it's an old school gun, but it, it's also new tech as well. It's, it's coded to his palm print. So only he can use it. And he gives him this little radio transistor. So it's kind of a blend of, of old and new. I thought that's kind of like what we do at relevant radio. We, we try to combine the old, but yet ever fresh, ever young message of the gospel with all the latest digital tools to bring Christ to the world through the media. That's that's our mission. Just as James Bond is sent on a mission in every film, that's our mission to bring Christ to the world through the media. But but the goal of the mission is is the relationship. We're just the delivery system. We are the delivery system for the message, Jesus Christ, the messenger and the message. It's the same. It's Jesus, the person, the one person of Jesus. He's the guy you've got to meet. And Father Rocky said something to us today. He was giving uh, the staff, as he does every month, a very prayerful meditation about our mission. He was talking about the theological virtue of charity, which is kind of the, the pinnacle, right? Faith, hope, and love, or charity. And he talked about Father Leo Treese. And Father Leo Treese wrote a book called The Faith Explained. And yes, we, we shamelessly borrowed the title for our Faith Explained series, but I don't think Father Leo would mind. At any rate, uh, Father Leo, according to Father Rocky, at one point uh, had a traveling salesman come to his door. The door was rectory. And it's back in the days, pre-internet, um, a lot of people would do door-to-door -door sales. and They would buy things that were sold door-to-door. -door. And, and that wasn't that long ago. I remember when I was a kid, we, my dad bought our first encyclopedia set from a door-to-door -door salesman. And I devoured those things. I, I loved them. It was the World Book Encyclopedia. I just couldn't get enough of it. But uh, it could be an annoyance to people, of course. And at that point, Father Trez or Therese was smoking his pipe, wanted to enjoy a nice prayerful afternoon, maybe do some spiritual reading. This guy knocks on his door, and he was kind of brusque with this guy and told him to get lost. But as he was walking away, he said, no, I can't do that. He changed his mind. He said, come back, come back. Let, let's, let's chat. So he invited them in. He invited them in. They maybe smoked a pipe for a few minutes, as one would do back in the day. And they, they started chatting. And it turns out this, this salesperson actually was about to become a Catholic. He was in the RCIA program, was married to a Catholic, had a family, and they really kind of got to know each other. And the, the point of it all, Father Rocky gave this great quote from Father Leo Treese. And, and the quote was this, my time is God's time. This whole idea that I don't have time to talk to this guy. My time is God's time, and God's time is for all souls. I like that. My time is God's time, and God's time is for all souls. Never too busy.
to deal with a soul because it's ultimately all about souls. So all of this other stuff is going to fall away, all the technology. It's just a means to an end, which is bringing Christ to the world through the media. All right, we have to take a really quick break right now on Relevant Radio on the Cable Clark Show. But when we come back on the other side of the break, I'll be joined by Bishop Donald Hying. I can't wait to talk to him. 888-914-9149. If you have a question for the good bishop, you can call in 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to the show on this Holy Week Wednesday, Spy Wednesday. It's The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149 is the studio line to call in to talk to me, but you're going to want to talk to my guest I'm going to introduce right now, but that phone number, 888 914 9149. I am joined right now by Bishop Donald Hying of Madison, Wisconsin, who is a big, big fan of Relevant Radio, frequently appears on our network. He's also on our board of directors and on our Episcopal board as well. Your Excellency, thank you for taking the time during this busy Holy Week to join us on the Kale Clark Show. How are you? I'm doing great. No, thank you so much, Mr. Clark. Thanks for having me on. Oh, how are you? You're doing well? I am I am really excited about the Tritium sure. coming up, and, and I'm sure you are as well. Obviously, you've got a lot on your plate. I know it's a busy week for you. Can you, can you give us a, a little peek behind the curtain, as it were, in, into what it's like for a, for a priest or a bishop at this time of year? It's the most beautiful liturgical season, obviously. And I think, especially as a bishop, tomorrow morning I'll be celebrating the Chrism Mass. Mm. And I think most of our listeners probably know it's the Mass where the bishop blesses all the oils that will be used in the sacraments for the ensuing year. And also the priests renew their promises. And it's so profoundly linked to Holy Thursday, institution of the Eucharist, institution of the priesthood. So I'll be doing that in the morning. And then um, the Triduum Masses, of course, uh, Holy Thursday evening, Good Friday, the Easter Vigil, and and Holy uh, Easter Sunday. Also, tonight I'm doing a tenebrae service at one of our parishes with the seminarians, and then people, the public, are invited. So all of that is just profoundly beautiful, leads us to the very heart of the Paschal Mystery. It's the very center of our faith, and it is a deeply renewing time for us as Catholics. Oh, absolutely. And let me let me let me ask you for for another kind of inside baseball question. What? What what is it like for you when you're when you're putting your homilies together? Is it is it different during Holy Week than in any other week in your preparation and what you try to do, or do you kind of just let the liturgy speak a little bit more? What's what's your take on that? Yeah, I'd say it's it's both. Holy Week liturgies are so supremely beautiful that the liturgy speaks for itself. I always mm-hmm. feel that in my homily can only perhaps slightly contribute to the liturgy. So the liturgy itself speaks to us, but obviously you want to put a lot of time and attention into those homilies because there'll be people at Easter Sunday Mass that are not normally here. You you want to articulate well uh, the central mysteries of our faith. Uh, Sometimes the challenge is I preach and teach on all of those mysteries so often that it's hard sometimes maybe to come up with a new approach or a different angle, but then you realize the beautiful thing is we just need the same things repeated over and over to us. At least I yeah. do. 
in order for them to sink deeper. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so true. I, I read something recently on parenting that a parent has to say something five hundred times before it sinks into a child. <laughs> on the five hundred first time, they finally get it. And it's so true that repetition is the mother of learning, as they say. My guest is Bishop Donald Hying of Madison, Wisconsin. And Your Excellency, one one of the things that caught my eye recently, and I and I had to bring you on to ask you about this, is that you put out a statement about the path of the quote-unquote German synodal way, and you wrote about this in the Madison Catholic Herald, and Madison's a long way from Munich, but you felt it was really, really important for you to talk to your flock about this. Why? I think because of global media, everyone knows everything that's going on in the world. So what's going on in the church in Germany directly impacts the rest of the church, not only because of social media, but also because mm-hmm. we're the mystical body of Christ. And I think what the German Synodal Way has really done is put up to a vote, seemingly, of things that really are not able to be voted on. It's not as if 51% majority can just change the Church's teaching on sexual morality, or who gets ordained a priest, or the definition of marriage. So... I didn't want my people to be confused or wondering, you know, well, what's up with this, and mm-hmm. is, is this the way to go? It was really a simple statement. It was, um, I think, a pretty gentle pastoral statement, but just felt I needed to say something in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And Bishop Hying, obviously your, your, your words are, are well-placed in saying that with, the, with global media, everybody knows everything at any time, really, mm-hmm. and and. The, the German bishops are really media savvy. I mean, they were live translating into various languages, their meetings. Mm-hmm. And and before we get into the, the, the troublesome aspects of their teaching, I think a lot of Catholics, if you could just take a moment, Your Excellency, to talk about the whole concept of a synod. I think a lot of Catholics are confused about mm-hmm. this. What is a synod? What is the synod on synodality? That sounds kind of meta, kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? Uh, could you speak to that for a moment? Yeah, so within the Catholic Church, certainly in the West, uh, a major way of the Church's discerning governance, discerning development of doctrine, discerning Church teaching are councils. You know, so we think of the Second Vatican Council, or the Council of Trent, hmm. or the Council of Chalcedon, and it's where normally the, the Pope would summon the bishops of the Church to come together, often in response to a crisis of heresy. Trent was called in response to the crisis of the Reformation, mm-hmm. and Second Vatican Council was really called for a renewal of the Church for the sake of the evangelization of the modern world. So councils are a traditional way of um, bringing about um, the bishops to deliberate on a, a matter of development of doctrine or Church governance. Synods, really, uh, in the traditional understanding of synod in the West, as I understand it, is synods were usually diocesan mm-hmm. and were either pastoral synod or canonical synod. So sometimes a synod was just updating um, local church law regarding mm-hmm. governance, or it could be a pastoral synod, really bringing the whole local church together to ask, how can we better live the gospel? How can we better evangelize? How can we better catechize? So I led a synod in when I was bishop in Gary, Indiana in 2017. Hmm. That was a pastoral synod. So it's really looking at, ultimately, how can we better evangelize the diocese and grow the faith? So 
the, the synod that the Germans have embraced is kind of that broader deliberative body that would include more than um, simply um, bishops or priests. So it includes mm-hmm. laity as well. And then the synod on synodality, the Pope has taken that to a, a universal level of the Church. So I'd say the difference between a synod and a council is a council is normally only bishops, whereas a synod has broader participation and representation. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it, it does yeah. make sense. And my guest is Bishop Donald Hying. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And Bishop Hying, do you think that, that this sort of modern process of synods that are forming, do you think that this is, that this is really what the Second Vatican Council envisioned for the Church? And, and do you think there's a danger of, of decentralization in terms of leadership and in terms of doctrine? Mm-hmm. I think the role of the papacy, the role of Rome, is really how to hold together the unity of the Church. The role of the local Church is to manifest the totality of the Church in this local place. So there's a built-in and and rightful relationship between unity and appropriate diversity. So the the role of of the Holy Father and the Holy See is really to hold together the universal church in the commonality of doctrine. You know, our, the scriptures, the tradition, the deposit of faith, uh, the magisterium. The role of the local church is, is how do we embody that in this particular place, in this particular culture? So I think the genius of Catholicism is that we are completely united in the essence of what the faith mm-hmm. is, but yet how that's culturally expressed, how it's locally lived, can be remarkably divergent. So think mm-hmm. of how different the church is in Africa versus South America versus mm-hmm. Poland versus the United States versus the Philippines. Yet in what is essential, we're completely united. So I think the Second Vatican Council would certainly call for a greater appropriation on the part of the laity in terms of how to express the faith, how to live the faith, how to evangelize, how to live out the lay apostolate. So greater lay participation in how we do that is, I think, both welcome and needed. I think when it comes to deliberating things like doctrine or tradition mm-hmm. or or particular law, um, I think that's where it gets messy and yeah. perhaps goes sideways. Yeah, and, and, you, and you spoke to that a lot in your, in your, in your piece that you wrote for the Madison Catholic Herald. My guest is Bishop Donald Hying. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. There's a big difference between, the, as you said, the essence of doctrine, the, the, the communality, I think you said, of doctrine that ought to be the same across the board. There's only one faith. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, as St. Paul says. But, there, but when you're talking about how to inculturate that, that's a bit of a different question. But it seems as if the German church is trying to do something else altogether. And you mentioned Poland. It's it's interesting. People have had the experience of being in Poland, going across the border, and they almost feel like they're in a different church because it seems as if the German synodal path is an attempt to actually change doctrine. Is that what they're trying to do, and what doctrines do they want to change? From my understanding of it, and I admit it's limited, I, I think that they developed a blessing for um, same-sex couples or, or couples married outside of the church, uh, they were looking at women deacons, they were looking at perhaps uh, transgendered persons being candidates for the priesthood, kind of a rewrite of the church's teaching on 
matters such as homosexuality, um, contraception. So th- those things are, are doctrinal. Um, th- those things can't be um, somehow changed on a national level or by uh, a body of bishops. And in fact, I said in my column that you know, they can't be changed at all if they're part mm-hmm. of Scripture and established tradition. So you know, we receive the deposit of faith, and there's an authentic development of doctrine, but it can't be a complete reversal of doctrine. You know, that's never been part of our understanding of how God has revealed himself and his truth to us through Christ and through the church. Bishop Hying, how do you see this ending? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to sort of play the role of prophet, mm-hmm. but where do you see this going, and where does the madness end? Yeah, I wouldn't dare to prognosticate on that question. (laughs) Um, What I say to people who are disturbed by some of these developments is, we know the truth, we have the tradition, we have the scriptures, we have the catechism. Those are our roadmaps. That's what we remain faithful to. And the Church, in her essence, does not change. And we stay radically centered on, on the truth of our faith and are called to live it with with generosity, with heroism, with sacrifice, with joy, uh, with compassion for others. Um, that, that's what I vowed to do when I was ordained a priest, and it's certainly what I was vowed to do when I became a bishop. And so I'm entrusted with this piece of the Lord's vineyard, and, and that's what I strive to do here in the Diocese of Madison. Yeah, absolutely, and, and love involves truth-telling, uh, care mm-hmm. for the person, of course, but... Um... You can't really say that you love somebody if you don't tell them the full truth that will set them free. You're listening to The mm-hmm. Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Bishop Hine, can you, can you hang with me through the break? We've got a couple of questions for you from listeners. If you want to call in, you can call in with a question for Bishop Hine of Madison, Wisconsin. You can call in at 888-914-9149. Got to take a really quick break. We'll be right back. Hang tight. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it, too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the show on this Holy Week Wednesday, Spy Wednesday, as it were, talking with Bishop Donald Hying of Madison, Wisconsin. He's joining me live on the program. And if you have a question for the good bishop, you can call in 888-914-9149. Right before we get to your listener calls, Bishop, I had one more question about the German Synod that I've been dying to ask somebody who would who would know, and I think you would know the answer to this. I feel like a lot of pundits and ordinary Catholics, they kind of have this feeling, it's kind of in the zeitgeist, if you will, that what the German bishops are trying to do, they they, kind of feel like it's in line with what Pope Francis wants. Can you actually speak to that? Is it true that the Holy Father himself has ever taught any of these things, that he wants things to go this way? I think the Holy Father has been very clear when it comes to the question of transgender. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the, the Pope has been clear on many of, of the church's teachings. There's times when I think people have been looking for a greater clarity, mm-hmm. and he certainly is pastoral, wants to reach out to people, but he said more than once that what the church teaches is is not negotiable. It's, it's a difficult thing because I, I think sometimes how he's perceived in the media is a distortion. I think at other times he could be clearer on things than he is, but I take him at his word, 
when he says that you know, the, the teachings of the church have not changed. And that's what I go with, because that's the role of the Holy Father. That's my role as a bishop. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. But I, I go with the tradition, and I go with what the uh, successor of Peter has always been, and that is the one who has taught the faith to us. And the faith cannot change. It, it cannot change, absolutely. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. My guest is Bishop Donald Hying, and we're going to go to the phones right now. We're going to go to another cleric, Bishop. We're going to go to a deacon, Deacon Sean, who's calling from St. Charles, Illinois. Hi, Deacon. You're on the line with Bishop Donald Hying. You're excellent. We'll see, uh, Cal, good evening. Um, evening. I was. I feel like one of the. I was. I feel like I was one of the fortunate few to be able to navigate time to see your uh, pilgrimage and your walk on El Camino, and it was it was beautiful. You checked off one of my goals, so um, my hopes are to follow you in not too many years uh, down the road. One of the things I think that was most beautiful was your encounter with the um, young Korean couple, and I think. I just summarize, you met them where they were, and you were who you are authentically, um, and uh, it was a very moving experience for them. And so the, the corollary of the question is, maybe even especially in light of the discussion about meeting people where they are, and perhaps what the synodal Germans are, are doing versus what we're called to do in truth is, okay, here's my, here's my way of twisting the question. A deacon enters a bar, imagine him being a new apostle, how in the world does he speak uh, to people where they're at and to proclaim truth and love and the kerygma and yet reach them in a way that doesn't push them away as it seems like we do so many of our, our current young people? That's a very good question, Deacon. Oh, thank you. The Camino film was about my walking with a group of young people on the Camino of St. James for listeners that don't know, but it was an amazing film that a good friend of mine made. I'd say to that question, it's hard to do all that in simply a 10-minute or 15-minute conversation. So to me, it's how do we authentically befriend people? How do we build relationships, even with people that perhaps are far from the church or living a life that in some ways is seriously immoral? How do we love them even in their sinfulness, even as we are loved in our sinfulness? And then I think it's in the context of winning their trust, them realizing that we genuinely care about them as people, that we can begin to speak of God's love for them, to to speak of who they are as beloved children of God, to speak our anthropology, to speak of the kerygma and the basic message. So it's, the beauty of how Christ did it, you know, he ate with sinners, he associated with people that were outside the law, but he never left them there. So he called them to conversion, he helped them move to a different place, to a stance of moral conversion. That can't happen in just a 10-minute conversation. So I'd say, if you're in a bar as a deacon, if you can simply win some people into a friendly conversation, you know, that may open up other questions for them in terms of who you are, what you do, why you're a deacon. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a that's a great answer, Bishop. And, and when he when when Deacon Stephen first uh, said that, I, at first I thought he was going to tell a joke. A deacon walks into a bar to evangelize, <laughs> and then I thought, 
Maybe this is autobiographical on his part. Maybe if that's yeah. what you're doing, Deacon, that, that is incredible. And we've got, we certainly have to evangelize people where they are. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show. My guest is Bishop Donald Hying. We've got another question, Bishop, from Mike in Los Angeles. Hi, Mike. You're on the air. Hi. Good afternoon, Kale. Uh, Bishop Hine, thank you so much for letting me get in on this off-topic matter. My situation is this. Uh, a quick bit of history. I was raised Catholic, was away from the Catholic Church for about 50 years. During that time, I married, which unfortunately ended in divorce. About 13 years ago, I remarried and very recently returned to attending worship at St. Monica's here in in Los Angeles. And, you know, I've been having a great Lenten season coming up on Easter, and it's been on my heart to participate in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And I was recently, just a couple of days ago, I was asking my sister where I could find a format so I could familiarize myself with prayers or or how it goes currently. And she said to me, you need to talk to a priest because I don't know if you're allowed to participate in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. uh, Or at any rate, that's my question, because it's really Mm -hmm. on my heart to do this with Easter right in front of me. And what's the correct thing to do? What's, what's, the, what's the right answer? I think the answer lies, Mike, in your marital situation. So the question would be, were you married in the church? Is that still, is that a valid marriage? Um, those would be the questions you need to discuss with a priest. So I'm not sure if we can discuss all that on air right now, but yeah. I think they have some clarity regarding your marital situation. So let's say, talk to a priest, lay out your whole marital history. He can certainly help you discern um, if anything needs to be done to, to clarify or rectify your relationship with the church. Well, but it's beautiful that you've come back to the faith. Yeah, that, that that truly is, and yeah, we can't. We, we only have a couple minutes left in the show. We can't get into all the the canon law there, but yeah, starting with your parish priest is always the best place to start. And, and just really quickly before you go, Bishop, tell us a little bit more about the Camino de Santiago film and how can people watch that if if it's possible to do so. Yes, yeah, so it debuted last Tuesday in 900 theaters across the country. A friend of mine, Aaron Berghaus, started a thing called a Havo Productions, and her goal is just to create quality Catholic film. Mm. Uh, right now, it's not in the theaters, and she's working out a way to to get it online, like maybe pay-per-view, um, that sort of thing. But it's debuted at EWTN last year. But it's really a remarkably beautiful film that captures the essence of pilgrimage and also the reality that many people that walk the Camino of Santiago do it for not necessarily spiritual reasons, and yet there's something so transcendent and powerful about it that it opens something up within them. So speaking of evangelization, that's a profound way to do it. It, it really is. And I'm sure when that does come out on pay-per-view, I'm sure you'll let us know on your Twitter account. Yes, you can follow Bishop Hying at Bishop Hying is his Twitter handle, Bishop H-Y-I-N-G. And Bishop, before you go, uh, we want to wish you a very, very blessed Tritium season and also a very happy Easter as well. Would you give our listeners a, a blessing over the air, please? Yeah, may Almighty God bless all of you, hold you close to His heart, and may these sacred days of Jesus dying and rising continue to lead all of us into a deeper love for the Lord and a deeper awareness of His tender mercy 
And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Your Excellency, thank you so much for taking the time in this very, very busy and very holy week. God bless you. Thanks, Mr. Clark. Thanks for having me on. God bless. Okay, I hope to do it again soon. That was Bishop Donald Hying from Madison, Wisconsin. And if you missed any of our shows this week, you can always check the podcast, RelevantRadio.com, the Relevant Radio app. If you wanted to catch all of this interview with Bishop Hying, if you missed part of it, we are here for you. Tomorrow, don't forget, special Holy Week programming, The Faith Explained, The Truth of the Tritium. That's going to happen at 12 noon tomorrow and on the Kale Clark Show tomorrow night. Really fun episode about foot washing and Holy Thursday. I'm Kale Clark. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>